Podcast. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Butthead. (laughs) With the inflection and everything. Today we are discussing a movie from 1985. Wes's favorite movie of all time. Jeez, spoiler. Back to the Future. Okay, what are we doing? We've got to get you back to the future. What are we doing? You're all excited. Why are we discussing Back to the Future? Well, Back to the Future is your favorite movie of all time. And also, it is our companion piece this week to the primary episode, Still a Michael J. Fox movie. Still, one of the classics of all time. Look, I said still again. See, that's what I'm saying. We've covered the classics before. We covered recently did Raiders of the Lost Ark. For the other favorites, we mostly talked about us and how this movie has been been present in at least my entire life and it's very little about the movie itself because people know all the stuff i never realized that christopher lloyd was aged in the 1985 <laughs> sequences <laughs> <laughs> so he has he's supposed to be old in 1985 so that when we go back to 1955 we can see him as a younger man but then immediately in back to the future part two my least favorite of the trilogy he says he got a facial rejuvenation and he peels off the makeup and he's like what do you think and marty's like it looks great doc and i cannot tell the difference at all what they were trying what they were shooting for <laughs> what they were shooting for is to not have to make Christopher Lord up for the rest of the series. Right. So exactly. we see him with the Doc Brown signature white hair, but the youthful face that we saw in 1955. And that's the other episodes or whatever. But I'm just saying the aging gimmick only kind of works if you're really paying attention because he just he looks the same to me. He was already in his <laughs> 50s by the time we shot this movie. I guess the it would be too shocking to have dyed his shock of white hair for the 1955 sequences. Like, maybe we wouldn't have recognized him. That being said, this is the movie of not changing up hair because Strickland, did that guy ever have hair? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and like the, these movies that are absolutely my favorites, I had never seen Strickland in anything else in my entire life except the Back to the Future movies. But then he's the guy that gets all up and you know how he's like, no McFly ever amounted to anything in the history of Hill Valley. And he touches noses with Michael J. Fox. I think he similarly gets all up in Maverick's face in Top Gun as the hard-nosed flight instructor guy who will be damned if he lets Maverick or some punk kid buzz his tower. And similarly, Maverick doesn't break down. Maybe it's because James Tolkien is, you know, five between somewhere between five four and five seven. Man, he needs to have he needs to get all up in your face and be authoritative or whatever because that's what he's got. He's got a Napoleonic complex. He's like the Arlie Ermy of popular eighties fair. I don't know what that means. Who? The drill sergeant from Full Metal Jacket. He's like the nice oh. version of that guy. Nice version. Yeah, but that's he's like lovable or whatever. You love Strickland. Adult me loves Strickland. 
uh, every when I was this kid and when I looked up to Marty McFly as a big bad senior or whatever in high school, then he was a punk ass administrator and I hated him because he was the man, like the authority man. How tall, trivia question, is William George Zane Jr.? Uh, he's got it. Well, he, I think he's around Biff's height, so I'm guessing at least six, possibly six one. Yeah. Good job. Man, six and already half. blew my trivia, which is what connects Back to the Future, my favorite movie, with your favorite movie, Titanic. One Billy Zane, a.k.a. Kaladin Hockley, a.k.a. What's his name in this? Uh, thug number one or something. <laughs> For some reason, he's named Match. <laughs> Match. His first feature film role in Back to the Future, arguably his biggest role or his most famous role as Cal Hockley in Titanic. He's one of Biff's lackeys in Back to the Future. Is he also in Back to the Future too? I don't believe so. In that one, one of them is a girl and one of them is an Asian because it's the future and it's progressive. Mm-hmm. The far off future. I was nine years old when this movie was released. This started my love of movies. I walked multiple blocks from mom and dad's house in Hawthorne to the Hawthorne Plaza to watch this movie by myself with other people. Imagine a nine-year-old. I saw this movie no less than six times in the theater by myself or with other people. Back to the Future 1 is a perfect movie. And some people say a perfect script, which makes a lot of sense. We walked out of an AMC and there outside were parked the DeLorean and the Ectomobile. Nice. And I was like, wow, it is so insane that 40 years later, these vehicles can conjure up so much nostalgia and still carry so much weight for me. Like, it's wild. Yeah. DeLorean wrote the producers and director a letter thanking him for reinvigorating his car brand because while the DeLorean looked cool, it was a freaking lemon. The reason that Marty has the little extra digital speedometer, which tells us when we're getting to 88, is because stock DeLorean's, that speedometer goes up to like 65. What? Yeah, it was a four banger. It was a piece of garbage. It looks awesome. I'm going to say the best, the coolest looking movie car in the history. I mean, this, this to me is cooler than the Batmobile. Definitely cooler than Ecto-1. Uh, but in such a pop culture institution, such an indispensable part of movie lore, that it was actually combined with the Ecto-1 in Ready Player One in the novel, Parzival flew and drove what he called the Ecto-88 which was a DeLorean with a hover conversion with a Ghostbusters logo on the door. And technically it had a Knight Rider woo-woo kind of sensor on the front. Wow, that's a pop culture mashup right there. I was driving on the freeway, and I know that there are a lot of celebrities. Seth MacFarlane's probably the most famous, who has a fully mocked-up DeLorean, complete with flux capacitor and all that stuff. I was on the freeway <laughs> in Orange County, and a fully developed DeLorean time machine zoomed by me, and I lost my mind. I was screaming like a little girl at a Taylor Swift concert. I floored it, and I was driving recklessly to try to get a picture of it. It was one of the best days of my life. See, and that's the power of the DeLorean to conjure up imagination and adventure and excitement and nostalgia. It's all these things that are wrapped up in Back to the Future for me. So question and kind of a left turn here. I'm assuming you watched this critically for the purpose of this review. Yes. Well, I listened to it critically while driving. I've seen this movie more times than I can count. More times than Indiana Jones? Indiana, you mean Raiders of the Lost Ark? Oh my God, yes. 100%. The Back to the Future is 
my favorite movie because it, like you said, opened my mind to the possibilities, the wonder, the magic of movie making. It was cool. It was a high school kid that I looked up to or whatever. And then it just showed me what was possible. The DeLorean, the time machine as a model represents what I love about movies. It takes you places that I did not think were possible. Um, and this may, you know, time travel, certainly not a new convention, HG Wells and stuff and the time machine. Um, but back to the future is my time travel movie. And it was fun. It was exciting. It was daring. It was a little bit convoluted and, and a plot that I, my little brain worked really hard to keep up with the science. But Agreed. Yeah, there was a whole thing with your parents and family and a love story and a standing up to bullies and asserting your, your independence and standing up for yourself. And all that stuff was great. And music and guitars and fast cars and pretty girls and et cetera and et cetera. And it just it hit all the spots for me as a wide eyed, not even like a preteen. Back to the Future is my Taylor Swift. Wow. <laughs> Poster quote. Michael J. Fox, We as we discuss in our review of Still a Michael J. Fox movie, is a larger-than-life actor whose performance is larger-than-life as, as Marty McFly. He's, in this weird way, he's macho. He's great with girls. You know, he's super charming. He's super slick. He's super cool, even if he has his own doubts, right, about his music, whatnot. But he seems like a kid who's got it pretty much together, you know, he is a little bit of an outsider in his family in that he looks at his family as being, I don't know, for lack of a better term, losers. Yep. I felt like his message to me was you can be whatever you want, regardless of the environment, the context that you're brought up in. And you could be a, a force of change in that context, as he proves to be in the in the somewhat controversial idea that his family is, quote unquote, better at the end. Have you heard about this controversy that people say that it's like it's like a wrong message that, that to suggest that because they're rich, they're better? You mean and by some people, you mean pain in the ass Crispin Glover, who was forever at odds. He was the second most pain in the ass to the producers of this movie. But he said that the message was all wrong, was like, I, I don't like that it's money focused, that because the family has money, somehow they're better than when Marty first lived with them in the alternate 1985 or the real one. Uh, similarly, Eric Stoltz, the original Marty McFly, viewed it as a tragedy. It's so, so sad. Isn't it tragic that Marty remembers a future that no one else remembers, that it's all in his head, and now he has to live and pretend to be someone he's, who's not? Blah, blah, blah. And Crispin Glover stayed on the movie. Eric Stoltz got fired. And then Crispin Glover was like, I stand on my principles, and I'm not going to appear in Back to the Future too, because it's not all about money being a happy ending. And then it went on to star in another time travel movie where money is the happy ending in Hot Tub Time Machine, a movie I also really like. Well, you know, when, when you need money, you need money. Right. In this day and age, it's not fair or cool to judge people based on their, you know, difficulties or their differences or whatever. But Crispin Glover is freaking crazy. And that's what Michael J. Fox literally says in Still. He's like, what are they shooting over there? Oh, crazy Crispin Glover got cast in that movie? He literally calls him crazy Crispin Glover. Crispin Glover is a clowny clown clown, uh, which is one of the songs that he wrote. And a, a, a video, which if you haven't seen, <laughs> check out Clowny Clown Clown 
on YouTube. <laughs> um, but and, and so even I think Iris, there's you have no problem getting behind me on this one because Crispin Glover directed What Is It? And he put it out for the entire world. And while I think this dude is actually a like a, he's a good looking, he's got presence and real acting ability. He's among the craziest. Uh, crazy Crispin Glover does not reprise his role in Back to the Future 2 because of moral reasons. Why does Claudia Wells get replaced by Elizabeth Shue? Oh, man, Claudia Wells. Um, she came into the role after Eric Stoltz left. Uh, if there is a tragic figure, if there's a tragic tale, it's not Crispin Glover. It's not even Eric Stoltz who got fired. It's not Michael J. Fox who developed difficulties later in life, but who's still Michael J. Fox. And it's not Claudia Wells who played Jennifer and didn't appear for the sequels. It's Melora Hardin who got fired from Back to the Future after Eric Stoltz got fired through no fault of her own, but only because she was like four inches taller than his replacement, Michael J. Fox. And you couldn't have her. She got, this girl got fired because she was too tall. Vis-a-vis Michael J. Fox. Tragic story. Claudia Wells is what Bob Gale, the writer and producer of Back to the Future, said was the perfect height to play against Michael J. Fox. And she was the perfect Claudia. I have her autograph gotten for me by the sneak from like Anaheim WonderCon or something. But she had to care for her sick mom. And she left and it necessitated a recast. And we got Elizabeth Shue, whose husband went on to direct Michael J. Fox in Still a Michael J. Fox Story. Claudia Wells, a solid, even 5'4". So Michael J. Fox has a quarter inch on Claudia Wells. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, to be in one of the best, if not the best movie of all time. And a movie that I questioned sharing with my four and seven-year-old daughters. Do you think that Paloma and Aurelia are ready for Back to the Future? I think so. There are a couple of, well, it depends. Um, There's stuff that I didn't understand, like when Biff's gang runs into the band from the Enchantment Under the Sea dance and Marvin Berry. And he's like, I don't want to mess with no reefer addicts, man. And I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) Even though they, even though all four or five of them come out of a smoking car. Yeah, no, that was like movie fog. I didn't know what that was. Um, But, Uh. and so really what's questionable, it's a, a little bit deeper and you have to understand Disney and frankly, every studio passed on this script. Disney most notably because they simply could not endorse the, what they called the incestuous love story. Oh, yep. That is Lorraine falling for her son. Of course, when she kisses him, which moms do to their kids anyway, she immediately said that it was wrong and that it was like kissing her brother. So we put the kibosh on that, but she's so obviously, as Doc put it, amorously infatuated with him. It could be a little bit uncomfortable, but I don't think the girls are there to get that just yet. It wasn't until this viewing that I realized that she's a full-on cat in heat. Like she's like heavy breathing and like all up on him touching his leg and stuff like that did you think have you thought differently watching the biff lorraine car scene than you perhaps did when you were a kid um i did consider it and he's like this ain't no peep show or whatever and sends his gang away he is you know as, as dudes did and i'm sure still do taking advantage of her, but also Marty was prepared to do that. He was banking on the idea that Lorraine, his mom, would never, you know, 
call a boy or or sit, sit in, in a car, with, car a boy. with a boy right <laughs> and so he was going to take advantage to her of her and i guess try to in my mind smooch her and touch her and touch her on her you know or whatever that is and that she would be so outraged she would fight him off and allow George the opportunity to come and knock him out. I assumed as a kid that's what Biff was going to do. He was going to try to kiss her and try to t touch her shoulders or whatever. I had no real concept. Touch Was Biff shoulders. outright going to rape Lorraine? That's what I'm asking. Was know. that, is that, you know, despite the comic amount of petticoat? Is that a rape scene? Part of me wants to say that in 1955, nothing as horrible as that would happen. And another aware part of me says that in 1955, if that would totally going to happen, there would be far less consequences for him. Uh... Um, it's shocking to me how young they all are now. Like Michael J. Fox was 25, a baby face 25. But everyone else, you know, they they look like high school. She looks so impossibly young in that dress. It just doesn't even register as sexy to me. She's like peach yogurt. And she's like a, like a baby in that little <laughs> chiffon-y thing. She's Yoplay with hair. Right? And like trying to smoke <laughs> and drink. And it all feels like a hustle to me. Like anybody who's anybody drinks, it just doesn't track to my nine-year-old brain. You know, Brian, bless his little heart, said that the first time when he saw this movie, that he knew, although he didn't understand what he knew, that what was happening in the car between Biff and Lorraine was wrong. And remembering that is what's giving him pause to allowing the girls to see Back to the Future. Hmm. Um, well, it's a depiction but there's the violence angle to be considered and the idea that th this can be solved or righted or justice can be handed down by way of violence. I don't know, man. It's difficult for me because I was, as we discussed before, I was watching way worse stuff when I was Paloma's age. Um, in, in an idealized setting, you might want to give it a year or two, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't really realize, I didn't even understand what, what Marty was saying when he was kind of dancing around. Girls get upset when you take advantage of them. That part? Yeah. I was like, what? And then he's in the car and he's like, you know, sometimes you got to do something that you don't want to do. And I was like, do what? Aww. Um, but see, the problem is with Paloma comes Aurelia and you don't, the, she's too young for this movie for a number of reasons. The whole idea is that you're in a kid's shoe, a teenager's shoes on the verge of adulthood, you know, and Bob Gale and, and Robert Zemeckis' original conceit was Bob Gale found a yearbook of his, his dad's yearbook and was shocked to discover that his dad was senior class president. And he wondered if I, like, if I were in high school with my dad, would we have even been friends? It's like, it's like a dad that he didn't understand or, or know. And so Marty goes back and sees if he can get along, if he can identify with his dad at all. Wow. That's kind of heady, like teenage angst, you know, sort of on the cusp of adulthood. What kind of adult will I be? Will I be like my loser parents who get taken advantage of by Biff, their boss, and whose mom is like, say, oh, your mom for me. And it's like, ew. But uh, <laughs> that's, that's what it's about. And I'm sure that there's flashy stuff, but also... Here's what I came to realize in my subsequent viewings, critical viewings of Back to the Future. 
I love the DeLorean as a car. I think the introduction of that car, who is also a character in this movie, is one of the best in, in history. Oh, it's all growling. And, and coming out of the, the, the smoke, just like uh, the reefer addicts coming out of the car, the Enchantment Under the Sea dance, there's smoke in there for some reason. It's beautiful movie magic, and it emerges, and it's growling and going back in time and speeding, and let's see if you bastards can do 90 and stuff. It's so amazing. And I love, you know, there's all the stories about how the story changed and how the ending is nothing like the original conceit, but still, this race for time where I'm I'm, I'm excited and scared, and, and Marty is, is trying to get the DeLorean to work so he can get it up to 88, and Doc is hanging from the clock tower and trying to, you know, beat the clock avoid the lightning and then the thing pulls out of the thing and what's he gonna do and slides down and i'm literally <laughs> angry like i'm the, the way they draw out the suspense literally makes me angry i hate it i hate it when the car dies and he's fighting and then the alarm goes off doc says when this alarm goes off you hit the gas and the alarm goes off and he doesn't hate the gas and he's still dicking with the ignition it infuriates me the fact that doc pulls out the thing and he he screams and then he like half-ass winds the wire around the clock like the hand of the clock and that right. supports his weight while he slides <laughs> down hero style infuriates me the idea that doc gets electrocuted by the full force of 1.21 yep. gigawatts going it, it drives me crazy the fact that marty got there at the exact moment to channel the lightning into the flux capacitor even though he didn't like if he had hit the gas when he said go he wouldn't have timed it correctly. All that stuff infuriates well. and thrills me and drives me absolutely crazy. And that all that excitement is wrapped up in these two car scenes. And that's kind of it. Other than hitting old man Peabody's tree, the DeLorean is a non-issue. Definitely My the pine. case in, in part three, we barely see that car at all because it gets an arrow in the gas line. Uh, spoiler, it plays a much bigger role in part two, but that's kind of it. Four kids, coming back around to my point from five minutes ago, it's kind of a talkie. And if you don't understand the concept, it's not so much flashy time machine as, the, as my memory suggests. It's my and, and that's what represents the movie. It's in the trailer. It's in the poster. It's in all the keychains. You know they don't sell the Funko Pop figurines of the of Marvin Berry and the Enchantment Under the Sea Dance Band. Marvin, your cousin Marvin Berry. You have to understand the dynamics of family of Marty seeing his mom. You know, being all broken down and alcoholic, and then young and vivacious and smoking and drinking. His dad, you know, being a doofus, but then being a tree climbing peeping tom, and trying to learn to stand up for himself He's and stuff. A peeping tom. Yeah. He's like all disgusted and and fascinated at the same time. Right? Would that be appropriate for kids? I mean, we're showing that that Marty's parents aren't perfect at whatever age they are. Really difficult for me to come to the exact understanding that I did yesterday when I realized that Marty says, you know, where are you going? Doc says 30 years into the future. Seems like a nice round number. Look me up. I guess I'll be around 47, literally my age as we're recording this discussion. <gasps> I am the same age as presumably because they were his age, 17 year old high school seniors as Lorraine and George in the present as i'm sorry mr mcfly i was just putting a second on the second coat now uh <laughs> the same age as biff 
I'm that age. I'm the literally the parents' age, and nothing has ever hurt more. Wow, you might as well just like put on the golf pants or <sighs> like get your own matchbooks printed up. <laughs> Be like, Marty, wanted to show you these new matchbooks I got made for my detailing service. Man, that's not bad. It's better than my doc, which is like too over the top. You know what I always think about when I think about the family scene where Marty is having dinner with Lorraine and his grandparents? A uh, young kid from the Wonder Years? Oh, yeah. Who plays his uncle? Not Joey, Jailboard Joey, but the other one? Yeah, it's like Marvin or something. He's wearing a, a David... No, he's wearing a... What's his, the guy's name with the raccoon cap? Davy Crockett. Oh, Davy Crockett. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, that, that was a very 50s thing. But when they're trying out their first TV for the first time and Marty's like, yeah, we got two. And he's like, you must be rich. Dude. And then the parents all come in. They were like, he's just kidding. Nobody has two TVs. You know how many TVs we had at the time of that of my first viewing how of many? Back to the Future? We had eight. I counted them. Like right now? No. One of the first memories I have of watching Back to the Future, they had this conversation and I went around the house and I counted and we had eight TVs. How is that possible? I don't I don't have eight TVs now. <laughs> we had that weird like radio tune in bunny ears portable TV. Do you remember that one? Yes. That one that I got from, I guess, gift from mom, but secretly took into the room and hid under the blankets to watch TV at night. Yes. I had one in my room. You had one in your room. That's three. So there were another five throughout the house. I mean, mom and dad have perpetually had a TV in their bedroom. I think we had like an old one in the garage and then three others. I, I, look, I guess if you're counting phones now, we have around 10 screens that are capable of showing Back to the Future or the or Jackie Gleason. <laughs> yes. But still eight. That seems like a lot. we must have been super rich. That's what I was thinking. Man. Like us looking back 30 years ago from Back to the Future is looking at like 1993, dude. You know, they talk about teenage and like coming of age angst. You have like ageist angst. Definitely do. Like big time. What are we going to do about this? Because you're no not idea. getting any younger. Like Back to the Future's message, it's a very valid message. If you have a lot of money, nothing matters. You're inherently a better person. <laughs> See, this is also the fatal flaw, your fatal flaw. What is the message of Back to the Future? Well, I guess in a way that it's not really all about you, that your parents are real people who have all the perceived flaws that kids see in their parents. They are those people, but they also have their own hopes, dreams, flaws, concerns, fears, and the ability to fight through those fears and self-actualize and self-realize is a triumph. Uh, both as a teenager and then as at their advanced age of 47, when he's too afraid to send his writing to a publisher, you know, self-realization and, and self-preservation and all of these things help you for not being afraid of life. It's really weird. It is impossible as a child, impossible to think of your parents as having lives before you. Yeah. I think that's mostly because we're engineered to avoid thinking about our parents being like romantic beings, like mom and dad doing it. That's just a horrible thought. Oh. See? Oh. See? But that's a major component of their lives. Marty spends the movie trying to get his parents to bone. <laughs> well, and when it comes down to your own existential crisis, then yeah, I can get behind that. You know, he spends more romantic time with his mom than he does with Jennifer Parker. Oh, definitely. You're my mom. 
you're my ma. What does he end up saying? Dada, daddy o. Yeah, well, that, she interrupts him and says, "My name is Lorraine, Lorraine Bates." He's yeah, but you're so, ah, uh, you're so thin. And then he says, "You're not picking a fight. You're not. It's not a fight, Dad, Dad, Daddy O." <laughs> ah, and that's just signature perfect Michael J. Fox timing. It, it's really great. And Crispin Glover looks so incredibly young. Don't get me started on Leah Thompson and and how young she looks. And they're aged up and that blew my mind. I firmly established them as the parents. And to see them so incredibly young still blows my mind. Of course, they're all young actors aged up initially. But it just it really showed me that nonlinear storytelling is super effective. And it wasn't just a straightforward, you know, action adventure story like Indiana Jones or something. You could really do anything you want with movies and special effects and, and you know, as painstaking and frankly kind of unfinished as they are in this movie. Uh, it really communicated something to me. All right. So now here's the test. Were you simply right place, right time? And this is a spectacular movie? Or is there something more that makes Back to the Future your favorite movie of all time? I mean, we are products of our environment, right? And this was a singularly formative experience in my life, in my appreciation and love of movies as an art form. I do think it's very well put together, especially given what a total calamity production was, how haphazardly it was thrown together. Like this thing, it's like not even duct tape. It's like scotch tape. And to pull off something this miraculous is a real testament to Robert Zemeckis as a filmmaker, uh, Bob Gale as a producer and writer who will forever have my heart. Any of Robert Zemeckis's missteps can be forgiven because of Back to the Future and Forrest Gump. Yeah, the goodwill overflows into everything else. So it sounds like it's a little bit of both. It's a combination of being at the right place in the right time and being a movie that is no doubt, you know, a classic, beloved, and in many people's opinion, including yours, perfect. And so just how lucky and fortunate you were that Back to the Future in many ways set you on the course that it has probably can be credited with us being here today. How was that for a segue? Great. Totally, totally. It's a totally. Why did you want to discuss Back to the Future? Because I watched Still and I was all inspired and I'm looking for opportunities to share some of my favorite films with my daughters, which is a whole time trip in and of itself. Man. And that's our discussion on Back to the Future from 1985, Wes's favorite movie of all time, if I haven't mentioned it. But I think our love for movies comes through with the 200 plus episodes we have at orwhatamovies.com or wherever you get podcasts. If you've checked them out, if you've enjoyed them, if you enjoyed this discussion on Back to the Future, give us a five-star review. Also, we love to hear from you, 818-835-0473 or whatevermovies at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. 
ever thought about starting your own podcast? Do you have a business or a message you want to share with the world? Well, now it's easier than ever with ElectroCast. Hi, I'm Mark Netter. And I'm Peter Rafelson. We're the founders of ElectroCast Media. Whether you want to start a new podcast or already have one, join ElectroCast to grow your audience, monetize your content, and build your community. With our simple sign-up, you get free promotion, world-class analytics, premium ads, and personal support. Go to ElectroCast.com and join our community today. Electricast. Transform your influence. Electricast. Electricast.